0: Mark chapter six, verses 14 through 29. It's a lot of verses, so I'm not gonna have you stand this morning. Here we go. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work within him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed, He is a prophet, like one of the prophets from long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has risen from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had been bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard, that John, heard John, he was greatly puzzled, for he really liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in a dance, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything that you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried to the king with a request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed but because of his oaths and his dinner guest he did not want to refuse her so he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring john's head the man went beheaded john in the prison and brought back his head on a platter he presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother on hearing this john's disciples came and took his body laid it in a tomb. Let's pray. Oh Lord in heaven, what a challenging topic and passage of scripture we engage today. We want to understand these things through the inspiration of your spirit and these divine words. Help us Lord to know and to do. Help us to be your people. To those ends we pray, it's in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This morning's topic, I guarantee you, is going to be unpopular. It's about politics and politicians. I know it's going to be unpopular because I know how popular politics and politicians are. They rank as the least popular thing among Americans the most disrespected. And yet today, I planned this six months ago, I'm going to talk about politics and politicians. Now I want to avoid the two extremes. The one extreme is to be unwilling to say anything negative about any subject or anybody so that I don't offend anyone. To be so mealy-mouthed you have no idea what I'm saying or even what it means. But on the other side of the spectrum, I don't want to make one side or the other, whoever I disagree with, become the butt of my jokes with a, a wink and a nod. You, you, you know what I mean. And you're like, yeah, I know what you mean, but you just are unwilling to say it. I'm not doing that either. Listen, we've got people from all backgrounds and all walks of life and all political persuasions in this church. We are not a one-party church. We are unified as a church on the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what makes us whole. That's what we agree on. And if I spend enough time with you and talked about politics, and you and I think we agree, given enough time, we're going to disagree. So rather than talk about what we disagree about, we're gonna talk about what we agree about, which is Jesus. But having said all of that, I'm tasked with a job of preaching the entire word of God. And you simply, as a Christian, cannot avoid politics or politicians. As a Christian, you cannot avoid the topic of politics or politicians because it's in the Bible. Just a quick overview. John was beheaded because of Herod being tricked or weak or manipulated by his wife's daughter in a brutal way. Jesus was crucified at the hands of Pilate because he was too weak or manipulated or so political that he turned Jesus over to be crucified. Look at Acts chapter 12 in your Bibles. Acts chapter 12. Politicians exist to stay in power. Look at Acts chapter 12 verses 1 through 4. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, this is one of the twelve disciples, right? Peter, James, and John, the top three. He got James, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for a public show trial after the Passover. Politics and politicians have not been kind to the Christian faith. In fact, in the story of Jesus being crucified at the hands of Pilate and Luke, Pilate sent Jesus to Herod to see what he would think, Luke chapter 23. And you know what Herod did? Dressed him in a robe and made fun of him. Politics and politicians. Now before I get any farther into the message, I want you to know this most important thing when it comes to our relationship with politics and politicians. They are only temporary. Don't forget that. Our leaders, our nation, our form of government, our great country are only temporary. The prayer that we pray is thy kingdom come. We are praying in that prayer that we are praying that God's kingdom would come and take over everything. There's not going to be a president or a senate or a congress in heaven. There is only one king and that is God. Our citizenship is not in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 18, verse 36. John chapter 18, verse 36. This is Jesus talking about his kingdom. John 18, 36. It goes like this. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. Now back up to verse 36. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is in another place. Everything you see here is temporary. Some people are so... But would you understand, at the end of the day, this world is temporary. We answer to a higher call. We have a greater allegiance. We are citizens of heaven. We have a king to whom we answer, which is even a greater allegiance. Than anything formed in this world. Now I'm not trying to say you just need to rise above it. Instead I'm saying you are above it. You're above it. But if you're a Christian, you can't avoid politics or politicians. You can't stick your head in the sand. It's not gonna go away. There were politics and politicians before there's an America. There is during America. I think this story that I read to you today about the beheading of John gives us a wonderful guide on how we should deal with politics and politicians. How should we handle it? We know that it's only temporary, but while we're here, we're going to have to engage it. And so I think this story gives us some good uh, points of practice. So go back, if you would, to Mark chapter six. This is the story of the beheading of John the Baptist. And I wanna try to examine that from the standpoint of what we can learn. Did you see that Herod was interested in what John the Baptist said? He was fascinated. In fact, it seems like he was guarding John the Baptist. Verse 20, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, and he liked to listen to him. There was a natural fondness or belief or joy in the miraculous. That is still true today. People are fascinated by with the unknown. When Jesus walked the earth, people were always asking him, show us a sign from heaven. Show us a sign and we'll believe you. Everybody wants a sign. Turn on cable TV. You have all kinds of haunted houses or uncovered or Bigfoot or, or whatever. Everybody wants to see the miraculous. You go to people, miracle workers and people flock in to see these churches because they want to see a real miracle done. People have a natural desire to see the sacred or the special or the unexplained. I think people have a natural spiritual capacity that God created us in his image, and there's a natural desire for us to worship him or something spiritual. And in times of extreme crisis or stress, spirituality becomes a real thing. How's the old saying go? There's no atheist in a foxhole. People turn to God. Did you see Hamlin have the heart attack on field for Monday Night Football? And how many people came together and prayed. I think there was a, I don't know, it was an ESPN anchor, I saw some clip where an ESPN anchor uh, led his little crew in a prayer for Hamlin on national TV, which rocked everybody's world. But haven't you noticed during times of great stress, people are driven to prayer? I think there's a pre-programmed spirituality in people people want to know or want to be right with this God. I think it goes, yeah, it goes both ways too. Have you ever heard somebody use the precious name of Jesus as a curse word? They might not even be a Christian. Well, why would they use that name as a cuss word if they're not even a Christian? It's, it goes both ways there's a, there's a natural longing or a recognition of the spiritual now the reason John was put into jail is because he spoke against what Mark recollects as an illicit relationship or marriage you can't have your brother's wife that's verse 18. And that's why John was in jail. Don't be afraid, like John, to condemn evil. I know we live in a culture that's becoming more and more depraved, and our truth, the truth that we find in God's word, is becoming less and less popular, more archaic, more traditional, more, oh yeah, you're just, that's the way it was years ago. No, we still stand by the truth today as we always have. And don't let politics or politicians take away your capacity to call evil, evil, even if there's a consequence to it. John the Baptist was put in prison. Now He could have been in jail. You know what, now that I met her, I think she's a nice lady. I never really met any harm. He, He could have backed away, right? But no, he didn't. He was in jail for years until he was beheaded. He stood by the truth, and I think we, no matter who's in office, need to stand by the truth. If somebody's been elected, I've seen Christians defend a politician who they like, because they like him. Well, you know what, you know, you gotta be proud in order to make it in Washington politics. You gotta really believe in yourself and you gotta, you gotta have a good ego, otherwise you're gonna get torn down. So I'm okay with pride. Really, you're, now pride's okay? Oh, pride's okay, because it's my guy. We had a president that was doing illicit stuff with somebody in the White House, an intern. I was in graduate school at the time My professor loved this particular president and being the snarky jerk I was I asked him about the Christian response to this affair and he said you know that's a good question but in order to be a good president you have to have the capacity to lie and be believed because you're gonna be dealing with world leaders, you're gonna be dealing with all kinds of people, and you can't always tell the truth. You gotta be able to project something that people are gonna believe. And so this is a honed skill that he has to be able to lie and get away. No, no. It doesn't matter whether it's that or pride. Or greed oh no listen that's how capitalism is built wanting more and doing more and consuming more and and if we stop taking away the incentive the greed incentive then our country falls apart well listen you can be uh, somebody that is growing and and um, expanding your business and you don't have to have greed there are Christians who are successful business people we don't excuse greed. We don't excuse pride. We don't exclude, excuse adultery. We don't excuse drunkenness. You can't watch a football game without seeing alcohol commercials all around, and how funny it is that people drink and they're drunk. Drunkenness is a sin. Guess what? Living together is a sin. I know that's not popular nowadays. Oh, you? Well, that's oh, that's old school kind of stuff. No sex outside of marriage is called fornication. Oh, we stay in separate rooms. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What I'm trying to tell you is even in the context of our politically correct world, we should be like John, not afraid to condemn evil. The third thing I want you to notice is that John was consistent during this incarceration. He didn't try to get out of it. He didn't try to play act. Oh, it's okay now. He didn't offer a bribe. In one occasion in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul is arrested by Felix, and Felix brought, him, brought Paul to him to hear what Paul would have to say, but the text says that Felix was also hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe because that's the way the world works. The world works in such a way that you've got to be sly, you've got to be tricky, but Christians are not. We are consistent. Be consistent under pressure. Don't act the part. The person that wants to win the verdict plays the perfect victim, a fender bender. Very slightly. Oh, oh no, my neck has hurt so bad. You know, we know. I was involved in a car wreck 30 years ago. It finally went to court after a few years. The lady came in the courtroom in a walker. It took her forever to come into the courtroom, she couldn't go up to the stand. She had to stand up with her walker, and she talked, and I felt so bad for her. This is tragic. This is terrible. A couple days later, the verdict was made. I went back to college. My dad took me down to Milligan College from Indiana, stopped off at a small town, and here it was getting ready to rain, and I'm in a gas station getting sunflower seeds. This is a travel thing. And I look across the street, and I see that lady. And she she runs across the street to get out of the rain. She's all laughing, walks through the front door, and I see her, and she sees me. Oof, oof. Now, she could have miraculously recovered in two days. But it was acting. When people see you acting, apart you lose your testimony be consistent under pressure but the most important thing i want to tell you in today's message based on john and others is be gracious be gracious understand that there's natural curiosity with spirituality and that people are steeped or they're entrapped by evil and standing back and calling a spade a spade and damaging people, especially people who have no Christian background, that accomplishes nothing. Now, you've got to be consistent under pressure. You've got to be the real deal, but you need to be gracious with others. You see that John engaged Herod in this story in puzzling or engaging conversation. Herod liked to listen to him. Herod protected him, which to me implies that there's good conversation going on. In another case, you've got John the Baptist calling the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You know what he called them? Anybody remember? Snakes. You snakes, you brood of vipers. Who warned you that the kingdom of God is coming? He calls them names. But when he's incarcerated in Herod's jail, they had conversations. I think it's because John was gracious to him. And I think we have a lot of examples of gracious conversation, even in difficult times. This is going to be a lot of reading, but I want you to turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24, starting with verse 22. I want you to just listen to this gracious conversation. Acts chapter 24, and then we're going to bounce to chapter 26. Just going to hold that in readiness. Here we go. Listen to this gracious conversation. Acts 24, verses 22 through 27. This is the Apostle Paul in trial before a governor. 24, Acts 24, verses 22 through 27. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about the faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness and self-control and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and he talked to him. So you see this kind of engaging, gracious conversation that he's having? Now go to chapter 26, verses one through three. We have a new governor, Agrippa. Verses one through three goes like this. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense King Agrippa, I consider myself, what, what's it say? Fortunate. See how, see how nice, how fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you're well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, see how nice this is? Now drop down, if you would, to verses 24 through 32 long conversation he's being very gracious i'm going to pick it up at verse 24 at this point festus interrupted paul's defense you're out of your mind paul he shouted your great learning is driving you insane he's talking about jesus the messiah resurrected from the dead paul says verse 25 i'm not insane most excellent festus Paul replied, what I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? Now listen to what Paul says in verse 29. Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you But all who are listening to me today will become what I am, except for these chains. Gracious conversation. Politics, politicians, they're not going away. That's a reality. What is our response? Well, we're not going to compromise ourselves. We're going to be consistent. We're going to be willing to call a sin a sin. But we're going to be gracious, I think. This world has lost its capacity to have gracious conversations. Don't you? heard about somebody that went to a college campus and tried to present a different view, and he was shouted down. He couldn't, make, couldn't even talk. People shouted him down because they didn't want to hear. Sometimes all Christians are trying to do is convince somebody. They don't even listen to what the person they say. They're trying to win an argument. I don't know if you win an argument, if you ever win anything at all. Be gracious, stand by the truth. With a prayer like Paul, I pray that you and those listening will become what I am, except for these these chains. One last passage of scripture, I think this is key because you might think I'm just saying my opinion, you might think I pulled this, this Paul thing right out of the blue, but I want you to look at how Jesus engages somebody with a different political view. So I want you to go to the Gospel of John, Last text for today, John 4, verses 9 through 21. Jesus illustrates gracious conversation with someone who he disagrees with, and I'm pretty sure that Jesus is right. He disagrees with somebody who's completely wrong. And Jesus is completely right because he's Jesus. And yet, listen to the gracious conversation that happens. Here we go. Verses 9 through 21 of chapter 4. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Here's a racist thing, right? Are you a racist? Jesus says. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his livestock? Listen, the Samaritans had holy sites. If you've ever read the Old Testament, you see places where Jacob dug a well, These are holy sites for the Samaritans. And she's starting a religious argument. What? Our father Jacob, which is better than your, he dug this well. Are you better than him? His sons drank for this. Are you better than him? See the religious argument she's trying to start? Jesus answers, verse 13, Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up an eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I, don't have, I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here and draw water. He told her, go back and tell your husband. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you're now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Now, listen, That, that you could twist the dagger in on that, that one. Here, she's trying to start an argument. Now, I'm just going to bring up your lifestyle. So here's her response. Sir, what a wonder, sir. Maybe she's from the south. I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She keeps on going right back to another argument. Which mountain do we worship, Jerusalem or this mountain? You see how gracious? And patient Jesus is and Jesus concludes this woman Jesus replied believe me a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you Samaritans worship what you do not know we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews yet a time is coming and is now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth Jesus was so gracious to her He didn't take the bait. He didn't argue about sexism or racism or location or geography. Instead, he talked about his kingdom, which is not of this world. Politics and politicians, we're not getting away from it. It's not a popular subject. But I want you to know that the thing that brings us together is not our political persuasion, nor is it our government or our country. It is Jesus Christ and our citizenship is in heaven and this stuff that we have here is wonderful and temporary so we can just breathe understand that our allegiance is first and foremost to God and we can be so gracious to other people with the hope that they too might be saved, just like Paul said to Festus and Herod. We can have gracious conversations because we're on the side of the truth. Knowing that God has planted a spirituality in everybody, they really do want to know and be right with God. Many, most people do, in my opinion, most people are seeking the truth and telling them that they're bad and wrong Doesn't really open the door. God's grace does. God's love does. So, my challenge to you is to be like John, to be like Jesus, to recognize the reality of our destination and be gracious with people along the way. Let's pray.